Section 7 of the Counter-Reformation by Adolphus Ward. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 2. The Beginnings of the Catholic Revival, Part 5. Reference will be made below to the attempt of Philip II in 1559 to introduce into the Netherlands a system by which, in inquiries into matters of faith, the bishop of each diocese was to be assisted by two inquisitors, in addition to seven canons, an attempt so well remembered even in the Catholic provinces that they had no scruple in recording their renunciation of it in the pacification of Ghent, 1576, which secured to the church her exclusive privileges in the south. In the neighboring kingdom of France, the zealous party were, in the reign of Henry II, anxious to introduce the Inquisition when they found the ordinary tribunals unwilling to apply the powers conferred upon them for the suppression of heresy. But the Parliament of Paris defeated both their first attempt in 1555 and another which was supported by a papal bull approved by a royal declaration, 1557. The Cardinal of Lorraine indeed prevailed upon Henry II to force the Parliament to register the edict establishing the Inquisition in 1558, but it remained ineffective, largely by reason of the King's political relations with the German Protestant princes. In the brief reign of Francis II, during which the Guise family controlled the government, the Edict of Romorantin, May 1559, went far towards establishing a system like that of the Spanish Inquisition in France, and a board of four cardinals was appointed, but the death of the young king in December cut short their operations. In Naples, the viceroy of Charles VI, the unyielding Pedro de Toledo, was, at the suggestion of Carafa, now archbishop of the province, instructed to renew the attempt to introduce the Inquisition in 1546. It failed again, but when once more and more effectively repeated eighteen years later, the institution had already become a national one, and could about the same time, 1563-4, be imposed upon the Milanese with the direct cooperation of Rome. When the papacy had at last adopted the revived Inquisition as part of its regular machinery of government, the headquarters of the institution were logically transferred to Rome itself. In the opinion of Carafa, and those who, like him, regarded the extirpation of heresy as the primary task of the Church, the councils of the reforming cardinals needed supplementing by measures which directly addressed themselves to this end, and thus, in July 1542, Paul III issued the bull Licit Ab Initio, constituting the Congregation of the Holy Office at Rome. It consisted of six cardinals and received unrestricted powers of inquiry and punishment, with a sphere of jurisdiction in theory equally unlimited. Care was, however, taken to assure the chiefs of the Spanish Inquisition that no prejudice was intended to their authority. Carafa was, in the first instance, placed at the head of the congregation with other Dominicans by his side, but the institution is said to have had the approval of Loyola. Its effect on the religious life of Italy was great. 
especially after the stringency of its proceedings had been increased by Carafa on his elevation to the papacy as Paul IV. And again, by Pius V, after an interval of comparative moderation. The statement that after the death of the last-named pope in 1572, no capital punishment was inflicted in the states of the church on account of religious charges is incorrect, but the instances in which the penalty of death was inflicted by the Roman Inquisition were beyond dispute comparatively few. The numbers of its victims were not here, as in Spain, swelled by two ill-fated, large, alien nationalities, but were made up entirely of those suspected of Protestant views or of the various shades of skepsis classed together under the convenient name of atheism. Both Lutheranism and Calvinism incontestably counted numerous adherents in the towns of almost every part of Italy. Moreover, the tendency to independence of religious thought must have received some encouragement from the infusion of a strong element of liberalism into the composition of the sacred college. The men in whom a popular Italian Reformation movement had such a thing been possible, might have found its natural leaders fled for their lives from the Inquisition, taking refuge at the very hearths of the heresies which it denounced. Bernardino Ochino, after many adventures, reached Switzerland, which with other Protestant countries sheltered him for the long remainder of his life to 1568. Peter Martyr, Vermili, summoned like him to Rome, likewise found a refuge at Geneva, whence he afterwards passed for a time to England. Many other suspects of less note hastened across the Alps, and behind them the storm broke over the communities to which they had belonged. At Lucca it proved possible to resist the efforts of the Inquisition to establish a permanent tribunal there. The surrender of Burlamachi to the emperor who put him to death in 1548 was primarily the consequence of his revolutionary political designs. But such was not the case with the victims found at Ferrara from 1551 and Bologna, 1553. These proceedings belong to the pontificate of Julius III, but already under Paul III, the Seigneury of Venice had consented to establish an inquisitorial tribunal into which care was taken to introduce lay representatives of the government, but which resorted to measures of considerable severity, including, as is stated, the execution of nineteen sentences of death at Vicenza, Treviso, and Bergamo from 1548. But neither at Venice herself and at the University of Padua, nor in the other subject towns, were Protestant sympathies extinguished so that after the accession of Paul IV, the rigor of the tribunal was revived, and several Venetians charged with heresy were delivered up to the Pope and burnt at Rome. Elsewhere in Italy, as already observed, the activity of the Inquisition increased under Paul IV and Pius V, but in truth it was now a self-working organism, and its pressure was often surest where it was slowest as in the melancholy case of the Duchess Renée of Ferrara, 1584. The Spanish Inquisition, of which the Roman may be regarded as a branch, could not have prevailed in Italy, 
without the political ascendancy of Spain, which neither temporal nor spiritual authorities, including that of the popes themselves, could refuse to acknowledge. Such brutalities as the massacre of the Waldenses at Guardia in Calabria, 1562, which Philibert Emmanuel of Savoy would, if he could, have emulated in his raid upon the Waldenses of the Alps, were the excesses of this foreign despotism. But its iron entered into the heart of the Italian people at large, even outside the parts of the country directly under Spanish sway. The selfish greed of foreign nations had delivered over Italy to the doom of political dependence. Now the Spanish rule and ascendancy likewise took away from her sons and daughters what remained to them of the spirit of moral and intellectual freedom, which under other circumstances might have survived the Renaissance or have added to it an ennobling phase. In asserting mainly through the medium of the Inquisition, her claim to a censorship over the literature and art of the Christian world, the Church of Rome stood on a well-trodden path. The system, which, with the cooperation of the crown, Torquemada had practiced with relentless zeal in Spain, and which in Germany, though set in motion after a much milder fashion, had covered the Dominicans of Cologne with undying ridicule was developed in Spain under the inquisitorial administrations of Adrian and of Manrique, the latter of whom empowered his officers to excommunicate possessors or readers of heretical books, as well as those who had failed to denounce them. In this way it was hoped to extinguish many pernicious reputations, including the fame of Erasmus. No sooner had the revived Inquisition been formally established at Rome, than Carafa, as its official head, published an edict prohibiting, under the severest penalty short of death, the reading, purchase, or possession, as well as the printing or sale of any heretical book or of any anonymous work not expressly approved by the Sacred Office, 1543. Not long before this, in 1539, Charles V resolved, like Ferdinand and Isabella before him, to assert the secular authority in these matters, had prohibited on pain of death the circulation in Flanders of any of Luther's writings, 1540, with the papal approval charged the University of Louvain with the task of drawing up a list of books prohibited in Flanders, and after it had made its appearance in 1546, the example was followed and the list enlarged by the Inquisition in Spain in 1556. Both here and elsewhere, decrees abounded establishing rigorous rules of censorship. The culminating ordinance was that of Philip II in 1558, attaching the penalties of death and confiscation of property to the reading, purchase, or possession of books prohibited by the sacred office. But the first index of prohibited books published by papal authority, and therefore unlike the catalogi previously issued by royal, princely, or ecclesiastical authorities, valid for the whole church, was that authorized by a bull of Paul IV in 1559. In 1564 followed the index published by Pius IV, as drawn up in harmony with the decrees of the Council of Trent, which, after all, appears to be a merely superficial revision of its predecessor. 
Other indices followed for which various authorities were responsible, the most important among them being the Index Expurgatorius, sanctioned by a bull of Clement VIII in 1595, which proved so disastrous to the great printing trade of Venice. After a time, the prohibitions contained in these lists came to extend not only to particular books, but to particular passages in books. Thus, one of the scholars employed on the so-called Index Expurgatorius of the Duke of Alva, 1571, is said to have boasted that he had struck out 600 passages in ancient writers, all of which appeared to contradict the claims or doctrines of the Church of Rome. While the censors who conducted the execution of these ordinances in the several dioceses were jointly appointed by bishops and inquisitors, the final decision on all these matters was entrusted to the Congregation of the Index at Rome, which was technically independent of the Holy Office. But the spirit of the Inquisition pervaded an institution which, apart from the awkward perversity of its operations, illustrated by the history of the Jesuits from St. Francis Borgia to Bellarmine, ultimately tended not only to weaken the defensive powers of the Church of Rome, but to throw contempt upon them. Most lamentable of all was its effect upon that branch of the Church to which the spiritual element in the Counter-Reformation was so preeminently indebted. The fear which paralyzes the tongue of the teacher and makes the pen drop from the scholar's hand narrowed and unmanned that Spanish Church, whose representatives proved themselves in so many respects worthy of her past at the Council of Trent. End of section 7